It's been a joyous couple of weeks for us at the Mommy Mixtape as we welcomed our newest baby into the mix. We're happy to report that Bakul and baby Fateh are doing well and we can't wait to hear all their stories. Bakul's inimitable humor has gotten me through some hard times. I continue to marvel at the ease of her authenticity. I seek to surround myself with the transformative power of such unabashedly unique women who have learned to embrace all their idiosyncrasies and celebrate their wonderful worlds. No more so than our guest today, Natasha Badwar. Her books, My Daughter's Mum and Immortal for a Moment, are the perfect starting point for anyone looking to rejuvenate their life force. Welcome, Natasha. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this is a very, very special episode of the Mommy Mixtape. One that has been in the making for a while. And uh, one that is a dream come true for Gunjan. Yes, it's so nice yes. to have Gunjan here with me on one of these. Because usually I do the interviews on my own. But it's so nice to have her here. I'm so happy to have my dream come true. Thank you. <laughs> she had many special moments with her daughter this afternoon. Just talking about the excitement around Natasha. So Natasha is like, a little bit of Santa coming to our mm-hmm. lives. <laughs> this is Gujjan's Christmas present to yes. herself. Yes. We've all made the treks to the studio for someone who's very special. And starting out, I think when I first read your books, it really felt like, oh my God, she's just telling my story. Like everything. The small details also. And I remember that Gaurav had read your book before he gave it to me and he said that, you know, you're just going to be like, Ye meri kahani hai. this is completely me because of Gaurav, who happened to meet Natasha before I did. They have formed uh, an association and a friendship that... Uh, actually ended up being so good for us because Ishan has officially started homeschooling. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, and Natasha is my go-to person for those moments of, am I sure that I'm doing this for my nine-year-old? Is it too early? And all those scary thoughts. And it's nice to have someone to bounce that off. And Natasha so many things. But which is Natasha's favorite right now? Uh, that I'll leave for her to tell us. But she is a cinematographer, a filmmaker, and a writer, an educationist. The, the list goes on. And I'm sure she has other favorite parts of herself that she will share. But I think safely I can say like one of her most favorites of her must be being mum. Being mum and being a funny kind of mum. Those are the best kinds. <laughs> the mums who can laugh at themselves. And I think that's a really, really important part of the journey for all of us. That, you know, when we stop taking ourselves so seriously and we allow our kids to also not take us seriously whenever needed. So what is it like to be your daughter's mum? I have three wonderful daughters who are now 20, 18 and 15. They're my kids. (laughs) Yeah, very much. For me personally, uh, becoming a mom is one of the things I was born to do. 
it's something I planned, I waited for, I always knew I was going to do. And uh, it's, uh, it's singularly uh, one of the most fulfilling parts of the choices, one of the f- most fulfilling choices I've made. I personally, and I know this doesn't have to be true for everyone and it isn't, but you know, a lot of my sense of self, a lot of my sense of being real, being substantial comes from uh, my connection with my children. So in a sense, uh, it, it does complete me. And did the self-reflection that forms such a huge part of your writings happen as a result of motherhood or was that something that was a precursor to motherhood and was just enriched by the experience of motherhood? Well, it's hard to tell how wise I was before I had kids. (laughs) (laughs) But certainly a lot of things did get catalyzed. I did start writing a journal, a blog, after a gap of many years after my second daughter was born. And I know that it was born uh, in a space where I felt that I was living many stories, many realities, many experiences that conversation could not contain, that I wanted to express, that I wanted to share, but nothing in our, uh, you know, in the social kind of setup uh, makes space for your very visceral and authentic sense of joy, frustration, loss, pain, and everything, as all new mothers uh, will vouch for, everything tends to feel so extreme. And, you know, socially, we tend to kind of couch it in a language uh, of, you're just a new mother, you're inexperienced, you'll calm down, it's something's not quite okay with you, your hormones are out of place, uh, you've been in the house too long, as if it's as if it's transitional mm-hmm. and as if it's born out of the inexperience of the new mother. And you know, that just doesn't feel real. Even if you are struggling, you, it's your you know a lot more about yourself and about this baby that you're holding. Even in your greatest moments of distress, you you know your experience is is very real and and it does not fit the general narrative that you have to lie low and get through this time. You know there are all these realizations that you're living through. So just like a little example, one of the things that is very regularly it's in the language of families is बच्चे ने बहुत तंग किया वो रात भर तंग किया बाहर जाओ तो तंग करती है डिनर पे जाओ तो तंग करती है यू नो एंड आई वुड बी लाइक वो तो तंग हो रही है ना शी इज नॉट शी इज नॉट फीलिंग ओके एंड वी आर नॉट बींग एबल टू रिस्पॉन्ड टू द बेबीज नीड्स बट वी आर काउचिंग इट इन दिस बेबी इज हियर 
you know, ruin our uh, happiness and our pleasures. And now we have to train this baby and um, find these ways of getting her out of the way so that our life can carry on as it mm. were. And everything already was feeling a little false. Mm. But, you know, once you have been through this extraordinary experience of... Well, for for those of us who give birth, of childbirth, as well as, uh, you know, breastfeeding and holding the baby and, and, and feeling that intense fear when their nose is blocked and they're screaming and you just want to make it right. I, I, and, and, you know, if you choose to adopt a child, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. It's something moves in mm. you and it's never quite the same again. And there is no language to define that it's it's really constantly being kind of belittled ki bhut utar jayega theek ho jaoge seekh jaoge so and kisi aur ko de do tum tumse nahi ho payega you know you didn't learn enough train enough read the right book enough something it's always kind of like something's missing in you and actually you are feeling that you have never been stronger you have never been uh, more sensitive you're kind of cut open your you know you can feel your heart constantly so that, that that kind of chasm in what my experience was and what i was being told my experience is made no sense and um eventually i you know it kind of just came to me that um, that i should write through this and i and i began to and i said uh, stuff that nobody's interested in hearing stuff that nobody uh, wants to know that i should feel shame for experiencing i've got to put it somewhere because this is real and i'm going to make meaning out of it and that's pretty much how it did start uh it's so interesting hearing you speak because i remember when um gunjan bakul and i first uh, our first zoom call about the podcast was just that that nobody actually talks about the real experience and because those real conversations are so rare that is what makes the experience so isolating like i feel like as a new mom if i had two friends whom i could share the realities and the elation of being a mother the redemptive quality that i felt of motherhood for myself that this is going to change my life because it it really was life changing and i feel like because i didn't have those conversations and because i didn't have that space i went more and more into my shell and becoming this just like you know let's make this bubble that is my perfect world and i will not listen to anyone i don't want advice i don't want in- inputs and i will focus on this little person and for for different mothers combating that isolation that even if it's a self imposed isolation like some people just feel isolated that you know you're not seen and after being celebrated as the pregnant woman and then you are never again celebrated the way you are when you have your first child and then suddenly you just become that person so i feel like 
everything you are saying is exactly why this podcast even came about to have those real conversations it amazes me every time i read a message from a listener or anyone who writes in because everyone has that it's that commonality of experience and that's why i felt like you were telling my story and i'm like oh you know and it's written so beautifully and simply and it was just that that you know these were these beautiful words and it was your life but it could have been mine and it could have been gunjans and i think that's what resonates with mothers just that having that little ray of hope i came across your books natasha when i was really uh struggling with my own mental health and uh being a stay at home mother um and when i found your books i was really touched by the lightness and the gentleness and the humor the soft humor that you used to describe some very hard stuff that i was going through and the funny thing that happened after i read a couple of essays and then i of course started following you on instagram and that has a quality of being a stalker kind of you know following what sari she is wearing today and what she is writing about and what are the cats called and all of that and then i started to sense a a bit of envy coming in i was like why can't i write like her or how come i don't have humor where did my humor go did i have humor before this did i see things with that lightness with that ease that natasha sees and i had to stop reading sometimes i had to you know unfollow you and i would be like what is this envy coming in for why am i why am i feeling like this and i realized a lot of it was just finding that i was silencing myself for a really long time and you found a space where you weren't silencing yourself or you were putting yourself for everyone to read for everyone to consume it was also you know uh, an understanding that these are books and therefore she went through publication and telling people and all of that so so i sat with that discomfort and that jealousy that was coming in and then after a few months i went back to the books and then some parts of it started to stand out for me like as if you were talking to me and as if you were talking to that part of me that was feeling silenced that i was silencing for myself along with everybody else silencing right so like you you just now mentioned things that we hear from others tell us aise nahi waise karo do it this way you're not doing it right or you're doing too much you're doing too less i had started paying attention to a lot of that and silencing what was coming up for me and then when i went back to your books and i read them again uh, underlined some stuff brought out my own questions and then uh, felt like okay i don't have to silence myself it seems that i can just write in my diary maybe not for others to consume yet a uh, lot of my instagram posts at that time were also about what i was going through i wanted so much validation i wanted everyone to hear and say we get it or oh i felt the same way or thanks for sharing and i got all of that so i very slowly and tentatively started sitting with the discomfort of feeling jealous envious and recognizing it was actually the invisibility and the silencing 
and started paying attention to that. So firstly, I want to thank you for providing that through your words, through your stories and through your children's lives and stories and your family's life and opening that for us to see as a as a pathway or for us as a as as ways of connecting and seeing the universality in mothering and universality in being a part of a larger system uh, space where mothers exist uh, difficult times for mothers happen for parents things change after they become parents and and when you would share experiences and words that brought in shame that really got my attention because we don't talk about shame we have no space to talk about shame and also shame is something we think something has been you know it it's happening outside us but the impact of shame is so personal and so deep in so many ways that that i started to make space for my shame and recognize that so i was wondering what was your your journey through you know kind of like op- opening your family's life your stories your <coughs> mothering experiences to share with others you've written about how writing saves you and uh, i wonder if there were initial obstacles or you know doubts or um what ifs because we also live in in a country where there is immense surveillance and immense intrusion of how we must live our lives now what we should call ourselves who we should pray and what religion we should follow in such pressures you've put this out there and you also don't like being called brave for this but uh i wonder you know isn't it a brave act to really do this hmm i think um wanting to be your authentic self is an act of bravery right because you're not supposed to be that you're supposed to be anything but what you are in your uh, raw form mm. right you're always supposed to mask and there's etiquette and there's a way of doing things and there's whatever you may be feeling there's a way in which you must look and that's just like uh, it's it's globally how mm. families and are designed i mean it's also a product of patriarchy mm. it's also a product of capitalism what you are is there's something off about it and it must be hidden mm. and everybody must be you know kind of shinier and like you're supposed to pretend that's mm. that's like an it's not like it's a hidden message you know auntie ke samne aise bolo inke samne aise baitho behave mm. like this in school wear this kind of uh mm. you know uniform and and what is all that supposed to be right like leave your real mm. self somewhere else and even i mean how much being real is discouraged like free play is discouraged right if a child is happy to sing to themselves and you know make up their own games then mm. they're wasting their time yep must be put into some kind of structured play because that will teach them something teach them what teach them how to seem impressive to other people so to that extent <laughs> uh i guess kind of choosing uh, to defy that pressure perhaps we can say is uh, some kind of courage 
I, you know, I kind of resist that because when it comes to us, it, it just, it, if you know, we can't breathe. Mm. The reason you are actually defying something is because you would die if you didn't. It's almost like your survival. It's not like you say, I'm going to break every norm today and show them. You're like, I, I can't do what I'm being asked to do. So I'm, you know, I need to find a detour. And, um, and to answer your question, I mean, first of all, uh, thank you <laughs> for everything you said. And uh, it, it was extremely, you know, beautifully, sensitively, articulately said and very, very touching. To answer your question, what has been the journey like was, you know, of putting oneself out there? It, it has been a very incremental journey. So when I did start blogging, it was such a secret blog that even I couldn't find it sometimes. You know, like where had I put the password? Which new email ID had I constructed? Which which was the only way it could be accessed. So if, if you even hacked into that blog, you couldn't find me. Because it was not connected to my email, my photo, my address, my anything, right? So I did actually take a lot of steps to ensure complete privacy of a space that I was going to. That was my space where I, mm. I would express myself. And I would use that then to read other people's blogs. But mine remained uh, a secret blog for a very long time. And um, I was not okay with it being read. And But for me, uh, I think... I think I knew one thing, which is that it's a place in which I am practicing and it's a place in which I am parking my experience because I will forget them. Mm. And I know that it will add up. And it was there in the name somewhere. The whole is uh, larger than the sum of its parts. So I knew that this is some kind of jigsaw. The pieces are coming in a random order. But if I pay attention, I must pay attention. I must. Uh, and when my daughters grow up, they will find something in it. With time, there will be something here that will be of value to just us. But then I would, you know, once in a while write stuff that was not so secret or that was just funny or that was just cute or interesting or light. And Facebook was new, so I would park it in Facebook. I would sometimes put something on Twitter because it was really short and and there an engagement began to grow. So, you know, friends would say, shouldn't you be writing a book? And shouldn't you be writing a column? And this is good. And, you know, they'd send it here and there. And it gave me a little bit of a sense that maybe there is a voice here. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reviving the writer that I have silenced. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up knowing that I'm going to be a writer. And then... 18, 19, 20, I looked at the real world and I said, nobody's interested in what you have to say. So then I spent 10 years saying, I, I have nothing to say. I will not write. And I'm, you know, channeling it in emails or mm. some funny poetry or invitation cards or something like that. But with the blog that began to get revived with the, with the stuff that I was sharing on social media. And because these were new spaces, I kind of, you know, I, I just decided that this is, you know, your etiquette doesn't come here. 
so so the way i have to behave at a party or the way i have to behave because my in-laws are here or the way i have to behave you know as uh, a professional these rules do not apply to these new spaces this is a playground is something i decided so you know if an uncle or somebody would follow me and comment on me i'd just block mm. I'd be like aapko yahan nahi aana i will be very i know how to speak to you when i meet you but you're not coming and ruining my fun in a new place so in that sense there was i i treated them as as very free places two significant things happened gunjan one is that when i began to crash uh after the birth of my third child when everything began to peak i had quit my job i had finished my money we had moved out of the city i had three kids and only two hands and my husband uh had begun to travel so the isolation was not only psychological but also extremely physical and 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 i had a near death experience with my third pregnancy so it, there was also a kind of a, you know a um a whole lot of um, re-traumatizing events so something in me was shaking and i sought therapy mm. at that time so the two significant things that happened was one my therapist really literally handheld me very kindly very gently very generously their names are father ross and pearl drago to kind of regaining my confidence in myself that without your job without your south delhi flat without your big fat salary you are still a sterling person it's all within you and you know the further you go away from all of these uh, worldly successes the the more something pure will emerge from you and the process of therapy kind of helped me to do that so that did actually give me uh the confidence to be able to write and to be able to uh, let it be seen and the other thing that happened was that i found a mentor online and that was um, roger ebert who was a very well known writer in the us he found my twitter account began to write to me said have you written anything else besides these tweets and i said well i have a blog mm. and and you know he was a cancer survivor he had no reason to take interest in me he wasn't going to live very long and and you know i i shared my blog with him and he said um there's a movie in there hmm uh, and uh, i made my blog public <laughs> you know so i mean i so incrementally right it was the it was readers uh, it was mentors and it was my own uh, growth along with them that kind of helped me helped me to move from a space of terror mm. if my blog gets found out this is it will be a very bad thing to yeah here's my blog mm. and here's my uh, you know an entry on this that and the other uh, i it, j- it just became okay with me and and then uh, the column came and uh, when i first started writing a column in an indian newspaper which was mint lounge i'll i'll just uh, narrate it almost like a little episode i i was like okay what do they want from me and i went to my brother's home and i picked up a femina and i leafed <laughs> through it and i said to him 
I said, is this how I have to write now? And he just took it from me and he put it down and he said, they wouldn't ask you if they wanted this. Mm-hmm. So whatever it is that you're doing is why they're asking you to write. There's no reason for somebody who's never been a print columnist to be given a column in a you know pretty prestigious a pretty prestigious space in a weekend newspaper so then i kind of with the help of uh, again a mentor which is priya ramani who was the editor uh saying whatever comes to you is what we want uh so then i set my own challenge that you have to navigate discomfort to write uh your piece it has to be difficult for you and each time you're going to go a little further and uh and and yeah so so somehow with that kind of i went from i want to speak my truth but i must hide it from everyone to if you want to hear anything from me then be ready for mm. uh the truth as i experience it one thing that i have always picked up on and after meeting abzal and you in your home it was that love is this foundation on which the entire experience of meeting your family comes in and how did you let them be a part of this very personal space and for a lot of our uh, listeners it's also about how do you take your partner along for the ride and because motherhood comes with such challenges because there is another partner or a father who's also finding his space and finding his feet and that dynamic is so wonderfully portrayed by you in your books how do you move from being lovers to parents who are also lovers and you know because a lot of people think that while i'm raising my children until they are 18 let's just stop being you know each other's people and we'll just be the you know we'll just exist for these humans that we have created and somehow you and afzal have managed to maintain the spark oh, wow <laughs> <laughs> well you see it <laughs> if you meet them that escalated very quickly <laughs> <laughs> but it's see i'm Let's happy to, to the point here i am blushing <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm happy that you know we're in that space where you, you can actually like think about your husband and still blush and for that to still happen Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I've written about marriage a lot. Yes. Yeah. And uh, in fact some of my friends are like why are you wasting your time writing about children write about marriage. Yes. Only marriage. <laughs> Good suggestion. Yeah. 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 No, I keep I, I keep saying that you know like we talk about our kids and so much of the entire experience of motherhood is that partnership. And I remember in our first episode Bakul mentioned that you know they decided not to have their parents around and just for that experience to be the two of them and how to be that attuned to your partner and how do you grow into that how do you now how do you grow old together yeah so of course it is different for um, everybody yeah. and i think um, you know we all realize um after the great uh, 
you know, first flush of love and sexual chemistry and everything, that ultimately he's his mother's son. <laughs> and I'm my parents' daughter. And this business of kind of building a home together really brings back your histories. You are not aware of the kind of neurotic attachments you have to how sheets uh, must be folded and how laundry must be put out and which way the uh, you know utensils have to be kept after they have been washed. How, and, how fast the fan is. Yeah, all, all, all kinds of things and whether the dog is allowed uh, beyond this boundary or not, whether the dog is allowed to be a dog or not, has to be turned into a person <laughs> because etiquette, etc. And and that's and that's universal. That everybody navigates. Right. So every time I write just about Afzal and me, any and every random person will say, "This is us." Yeah. And I'm like, "Well, how is this happening?" So which which pretty much means that the details may not be the same, but the dynamics are very much uh, are very um, you know similar. That when and I, I guess we are just lucky that we don't uh, have to spend our, uh, you know, we don't set up home with our siblings or best friends. Otherwise, it would be pretty much everything would go, you know, would, would go down <laughs> as it does uh, with our lovers, turned husbands and spouses and partners. So uh, with us, you know, we, we didn't want to be married. We just wanted to be together. And neither of us was attached to this, you know, this social performance of um, of being married and having a home in a certain way. We we could have stayed like perhaps maybe I don't know, but but our idea of lifelong uh, relationship was being on the run, you know, just being run away <laughs> most of the time and then getting tired and doing our own things and then running off again. So, so we weren't uh, super attached to this idea that we have to do, you know, do do things together. We that was not a commitment uh, that we had made, and I think that saved us. It saved us because when we found that we can't do things together, when we found that my God is a jerk, <laughs> and we found out that she's a control freak. <laughs> She cannot take criticism. <laughs> and I was like, why are you always criticizing me? <laughs> I'm very good at my job, etc. We, we, we were able to back off and, you know, back off from, from situations that just didn't seem to work and remember that we didn't want to make them work in the first place, did we? Mm. And I think also therapy... You know, we, we even actually took the decision to get married in a therapist's room. <laughs> so, uh, who, who then later, when we went back after a year with a baby in our hand, yeah, and they, you know, they took photos of us <laughs> and they celebrated us and gave us a lot of love. And then they said, come back every year because, you know, a relationship needs to be nurtured. You, you will have... The, Problems will arise, they arise with everybody, and you have to keep working on them. And we were like, really, we're doing really well, you know. <laughs> but we did go back. We did go back regularly. So uh, it's also uh, spaces uh, like that. We we did 
an NVC workshop together, nonviolent communication. Mm-hmm. And we came out of it talking very sweetly to each other for a while. So experiences like that kind of constantly reminded us to back off and meet each other where the other one is and to to really accept uh, and learn that we will keep changing all the time you know that that that's the way it is meant to be and 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 that's not again something anyone tells you right you're supposed to be happily ever after and then it's just supposed to be some flat curve but that's not how uh, the any life is you you're growing you're going to fall in love with new ideas and things and places and people and and um, and and you must have a very spacious capacious home and relationship that uh, allows you to be your best self and uh, afzal would do that naturally mm. he doesn't think things through he doesn't need to read a book uh, or an inspirational quote to have that moment and uh, i found that actually just looking at him and doing the same thing was faster than going into my books to see ab kya kare <laughs> what am i supposed to do uh, now that he has gone off on some trip after the second baby is born and started a business in a different city after the third baby is born and i'm like what kind of guy does that and then it i i you know and now he says why do you copy me so much <laughs> you're so good <laughs> you're so good at setting examples so i gave myself the same permissions and I, and and you know we all do that despite our feminist training and our very our own our own ideas of uh, what it means to be a self-reliant liberated woman uh, you do uh, find every now and then that that there's so much conditioning that you have to face up to call out let go of so then i began to give myself the permission to travel to to let the house be a mess to let him do things his way you know to go um, off and pursue my own and 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 we found that we always liked each other better when we were freer of each other you know he's able to celebrate my successes and i am able to uh do the same for him so the whole idea of being always together was not exactly i i think all love stories should be telling us how to how how much space a relationship needs to work you have this line where you say i'm a believer in bigamy you know be married to yourself and that just struck a chord because that's something gorov keeps saying that i have to fulfill everything that i want to be to be the best version of myself because if i don't do that for myself i am cheating you out of how good it actually can be and when i read that i was like this is what he was saying this is exactly what he keeps saying and he keeps he's like you know that's the lesson that you want to carry forward for your children also that it's all right and that is what self care you hear it so much now in the discourse that self care is being married to yourself and having it be that important where you don't put yourself on the back burner and you give yourself the permission to 
take up stuff for yourself and do things and i think that's so amazing you and afzal have maintained this balance and then carried that forward for your daughters and that's that's the narrative that they've grown up with those are the examples that they have seen but do you do you sometimes feel like you've set like unrealistic targets for them when it comes to like relationships and like all other young adults my children also look at us and say we are never going to be like them ye galti hum nahi karenge so yeah um, um, children are supposed to be harsh <laughs> just kind of staying with with the word permissions and while you were talking about that i'd also made a quick note of that uh, i'm wondering did something provide for those permissions were there some kind of and and like you said relationships need to be nurtured apart from both of you providing that nurturance this relationship is also existing in a bigger context a bigger space did something help you in order for you to give yourself permissions apart from being with a person who probably did not have expectations of a certain kind yeah was there other people cheering you both up were there mm. other people mm. bringing that uh, you know allowing those permissions to take place yeah yeah and and i and you're absolutely right to ask that question because you can't do these things in a bubble mm. and uh, and i i mean the first two faces that came to my mind were his mom and my mom and then i said don't leave the dads behind and just because <laughs> <laughs> just because they're fronting the mothers mm. to do all the care work mm. uh nothing gets done if they are not uh you know also in with it mm. uh, we know that very much so so when uh, when afzal and i began to falter you know when we went through difficult times uh, i i was just amazed at uh, at his mom most of all ammi but at both of them so i mean we we are an interfaith marriage um, and uh, for a long time uh, because afzal's conditioning was very strong that this to marry a hindu woman is uh, wrong And, and that you are bringing shame and pain upon your family so, so there was nothing he could really do beyond a point unless his mother was saying i want you to do it mm because what he had kind of taken very literally from a, a social and familial um injunctions is that you know you are hurting your parents your um, being disloyal to the family and for him you know his mother represented everything ammi uh so it was it was i mean from the day we got married and and you know, we only got married because they were like okay with whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> just do it now but she she was really a, a very very wise person and she saw me always much before i saw myself as who i am she saw me and i went into the marriage like a, a smart woman 
I'm like, okay, I will do whatever it takes to keep this going. So I change my costume when I go to the village. I wear a certain kind of, I speak in a certain way and stuff. And I was doing that. And then Ami came to live with us in our flat in Delhi. And she was there for, you know, maybe two weeks and about 10 days on. I'm just sick of going to work in salwar kameez and glass bangles. So I emerged from my room in my trousers and shirt. And she says, now you're looking good. You look so good like this. And I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Who told me (laughs) that she didn't want to see me Mm. like this? Nobody told me. Uh, But I guess what she was doing was really literally waiting to find a time to tell me, Natasha, just be yourself. One, you guys are not going to last too long Mm. together if you keep, you know, if you keep switching cultural codes to please other people, you'll get yeah. tired. And and two, please, this makes no difference to us. So whatever it is that has brought you together, we'll keep you together. And, uh, and this is, you know, from a very uh, traditional seeming, practicing elderly um, Muslim woman. Mm. And uh, and and my mom was the same. My mom and Afzal are best friends, mm-hmm. so they, you know, they can just talk for hours and hours about our You mentioned in your book also that uh, Ami never treated me like a daughter-in-law. It was always that, you know, she's my daughter. And and you know, she she was also uh, like all about your wow. You look like a princess. I mean, who doesn't, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, who doesn't want to hear that? So then I would just, uh, I, I, I really, I, I developed a whole wardrobe to, mm. to share this happiness with Ammi. Mm. Because Afzal never looks at what I wear. He doesn't even look <laughs> at me. But, but, you know, here was this person kind of applauding me for my own special interest. And I had a lot of fun with that. Did she have to do something in particular for you to believe her? No, just small gestures. I was remembering, uh, I mean, now we've been married for 21 years. But uh, just yesterday, uh, my my sister-in-law was over and I was getting dinner together. And I, I, was, re- I was remembering the first time Ami and I were home alone in Delhi and one of you know, an elderly male relative mm. uh, from their side turned up. And Ami got a little nervous because now we had to host him. And we took out some frozen kebabs from the fridge. And I'm trying to heat them. And I have never worked with kebab and fire before. So she's seeing me tremble. And of course, I'm trembling a little more because she's seeing me. And she looks at me and she says, you know, I also don't know anything about kitchen. I have never done anything in the kitchen. I can do anything in the world, but not the kitchen. And I'm like, same Ami. <laughs> she's like, yeah. You know, so she's kind of really literally giving me the permission mm. that this is not what I expect from you. And I'm not going to do this mm. uh, to your to to your couplehood. I'm not going to diminish you in any way. We all need Ami in our lives. <laughs> Yeah. But I think we all have, I mean, we, I think we, 
invisibilize a lot of support also because when you are feeling isolated you you almost have blinders on so those maybe those small gestures when you are in say a bad space or you are feeling overwhelmed you may not pick up on so i feel like you know some people are just not expressive enough and i remember the something similar happened you know i was i've always been this overachieving cook and i remember gorov's first birthday after we got married i cooked for some like 40 people and my mother-in-law was very sweet she was like i will buy you all the utensils but i this is not my scene okay i can't do all this but i'll buy you these so she took me to this place where they weigh the aluminum and you you know those proper village type of dukans she found in uh, chakkarpur in gurgaon and all that and she she's like okay i will help you enable you to do this i don't support it at all but you want to be this overachieving wife go ahead do it and i remember at it was 2 in the morning and one of his friends the typical guy goes like hi garam parathe hote to kya kya baat hoti you know and i was like mortified and uh i tell her this and she was like you should have just woken me up i would have kicked him out of the house <laughs> and i was so taken up by how i was feeling that somebody asked me to make garam parathe i didn't see her support and i didn't give that enough of you know the fact that she said that you should have woken me up and i would have thrown him out of the house also because she had the authority to do it was her supporting me but i maybe i didn't see it as that and maybe i you know i was just like too consumed by how i was feeling that i did all this and i wasn't appreciated enough or you know so i think that happens to a lot of women like you don't realize that there are these small pockets of support there are those small pockets of that shared experience and not everyone articulates the same way you know support may come in the form of someone just sitting next to you and being quiet because my mom does that she won't say anything but she'll just come and sit and then she'll just look at you i think it support comes in all shapes and sizes and it does and not only do people sometimes not know what to say they're also saying the wrong thing even when they're trying to support you yes yeah. and uh, we are so touchy and on the edge you're right about being overwhelmed in the early years because your own expectations are so high your own idea of the perfect life is so high and i i really have to say that this you know uh, you're not going to have the spark all the time yeah. you're you're and 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 that's okay and the idea that a marriage is working only if it's working all the time is wrong it's not supposed to work all the time everything many other things are supposed to work and you know one of my most um, satisfying uh, relationships is with kanta <laughs> yes you're right yeah, about this, her this this wonderful woman who's been working in my home uh, now for 20 years mm. she was working in his home when he was a bachelor and then later when we moved to the neighborhood again 5 years after we were married she came in and she's been with us and she's a terrible cook <laughs> but she's a wonderful woman so i insist that she will be our cook 
and uh, now that she and i uh, spend you know i we've been working from home a lot uh, the last so many years now so yes just yesterday i was thinking you know i call her ma and she calls me ma you know we are each other's mother we are each other's daughter uh, and it, the formally she calls me bhabhi but we couldn't care a damn about <laughs> the, the man in the middle and uh, she's looking out for my family i'm looking out for her family and it's really of all the relationships in my in my life it's as important as any other and there's no social script that legitimizes it if if somebody else expresses the same thing they'll speak with condescension hi bichari yeah in loka and we don't feel like that and we don't have to feel like that and in fact and we have many spats kanta and i and my daughters will just glare at me you know you're being rude and i'm like kids <laughs> we have the right to be rude to each other <laughs> we you know we we, we we fight like friends when we have to and 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 we come back because our, our lives really literally depend on each other mm. both of our homes would stop functioning <laughs> if the other person was not uh, in our life and i know that to admit that you're getting so much support from a working class person rather than your husband is supposed to be a matter of shame but that's what is it that's just classism speaking no and that's just again this kind of uh, you know giving supremacy to romantic love and to to the idea of a good marriage mm. no a marriage is not supposed to be good all the time how can it be mm. but i think that's just you being yeah. your mum's daughter you know because you write about how she had this you know parallel economy of small time loans being given to and how she knew everyone in the colony yeah, and she what still they, does. and i think that comes from that yeah. that this is she what does true that. relationships she's, she's are she's fantastic at it and yet she has to hide it from yeah my dad right because it's not it's it's not legitimized mm, yeah. and at least that much we can change one generation to yeah. the other no <laughs> yeah i i actually just remembered why i kept the book down your book when i was reading kanta's name reminded me of that uh, i just remembered that i felt very sad that i didn't have a kanta in my life i've never been able to find a kanta in my life uh, it has been very hard to bring up the twins because i pretty much am doing this on my own and many many times i have wondered and questioned about my own uh, underlying biases classism and has it been because of that that i don't have a kanta mary or didi in the in my life because for me since taratosh was born pretty much every 6 months or 8 months the person who was helping me the didi who was there would leave Hmm. and i was so bitter about it because just when i was getting my life back yeah. uh, somebody would get up and leave and i would be like here i am again yeah so karwa chauth would happen and they would say didi aapke ghar bahut kaam hai aap bahut kaam karate ho main ja rahi hu so i started taking this very personally main bahut kaam karate hu and i didn't have the money to pay somebody who can take care of one child and another two take care of another child another one to run the house and another one to drive my car i didn't have a car i was very 
bitter about that i would often see you know ladies walk into the park with their children very happy and smiling and there would be someone walking behind them with a bag of goodies and you know lunch and the ball in their hand and i was like mere paas to nahi hai ye pata nahi what you know why don't i have this so i was very very angry and bitter about it for a long time i thought of sharing that right now because uh, you're bringing up the space that one takes to you know also transform or translate what one knows i want this you know i have this idea or this i want to do this and translate it into actually having that the doing part of it right and often i find myself that when that doesn't translate what i think i know i need but i'm not getting it i get very frustrated and and agitated and like i said bitter i'm sure many people many women listening to us right now do not have the support from a kanta or an afzal or a gorav or a, a you know a, who do not have a setup at home and they go to office leaving their child with a an adult or a person who is not responsible or who's not really taking care of the child they they are miserable they are bitter but she has to go to work anything you want to say to them because i i wonder if somebody would be pausing the, this podcast or putting away that book thinking my life's not like this why didn't i get this i'm very bitter wow you're the one who's going to do all the <laughs> the deep questions <laughs> I'm sorry no, I'm putting you, everybody to no, inner it's no and it's very important of yeah. course no so i don't want to paint this picture that um, you know that, that between uh, kanta and me and afsal we are like some superhumans who are having a happy day every day we are not kanta's been with uh, coming to our house and working in our house for 20 years now she can't do everything so so, so my first shock when when i had children was you cannot function any more without employing full time help mm. and i didn't want to do that mm. because we've all seen how toxic and uh, exploitative and oppressive those dynamics yeah. are in in almost every indian home and they're supposed to be all that is legitimized mm. uh to to treat uh, somebody badly in your own home to let their lives go to waste while yours is flourishing mm. and and so, you know that was one moment or a long time of you know kind of breaking like i have to choose i can't my mother can't run my house mm. i cannot go to work mm. uh with two babies and i i don't think what your experience is more universal than any other you know the, every year of course a woman who has come into the city as a migrant labor and is going to uh, you know work in someone else's home also has a life to go back to has aspirations and and that happened in our life too and about 5 years of various wonderful women coming but having to leave because something happens in their marriage or they need to get married or whatever you know uh, they have their their personal reasons at some point when my youngest is about 3 years old um i just uh, i i i stopped the you know i said i'm not going to get anybody into my house it makes me a very bad person mm. it makes me 
uh, angry and it frustrates me and i and i'm not you know i i also went through a lot of postpartum depression i mean i had three kids in six years mm. so i had uh, you know years and years months and months of not being able to function mm. and to have a woman in your house who is functioning fully <laughs> who is responding to guests responding to would make me uh, very small and petty and bitter and controlling those were the signs that took me to therapy so so at one point i said i i kind of reached a place where my learning became let go of your idea of what the house is supposed to look like how it is supposed to function just do what you can do and i really i brought um i quit my full time job but i never quit working i not with a plan but but somehow because i kind of couldn't not pay attention to my own interests and hobbies and the internet was there um just something or the other would keep um uh, you know emerging yeah. and at some point i had to look at myself and say am i an artist yeah. because i can't seem to get through a day without creating something and my work hadn't made me feel like that my work had made me feel like they pay me so i do this hmm but not really see the value of what i was bringing in uh but i did really uh really simplify um uh, my life and i had to learn to live with the judgment of afzal the judgment of my mother the perceived judgment of everybody who walked into my house and it was only because i was writing and i was i was saying i will let the house be dirty and i will walk into the uh, garden with uh, you know into the park with my children and sit play with the monkey bars and i would be applauded on the internet you know <laughs> so i so i'm living this i'm experiencing what feels like a broken life of not a family and home that is not fully functioning but i'm able to create a narrative that gives me joy and that gives other people joy and in a sense i was restoring my life and you know there was this one place and because of facebook memories you know it just every it comes back constantly so every year one status will come back where i where it says natasha badwar is tom sawyer and i'm thinking i i'm in my house and i'm you know i was i made a roti and i didn't know how to make a roti and it became a papad <laughs> and i have written on facebook uh, today's lunch is roti chips <laughs> and my friends are like like and fun fun and you're you know she's having so much fun with the kids but actually <laughs> she's <laughs> going to pieces and i and i remembered that you know that and uh, that a uh, scene in tom sawyer where he has to paint this white wall and he just sits on top of it and eats an apple and looks like he's having a lot of fun and then his friends come and paint it yeah. you know and and i felt like that's what i'm i'm just mm. pretending to have fun and it's becoming fun mm. and that 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 just carried on and i mean some some things are so incredible and implausible sounding that this is a story that i've never repeated uh so far but i'm i'm living with the three children and 
not combing my hair for days on end, <laughs> just letting them run bare feet and feeding them roti chips once in a while and writing these uh, Facebook statuses. And one of my friends, um, his his father passed away and he called me a couple of months later and he said my mother was in shock. And I opened your Facebook page and I just showed her your photos and your words. And there's light and joy in it and uh, she's better. And I was like, what is going on? You know, something is happening. I'm healing mm. and other people are healing. And I don't know the science and theory of it yet, but certainly I know, you know, to carry on. <laughs> you talk about healing, but if you look at your life, just take your life and you put it against everything we see in our everyday lives. Um, do you fight those so social norms on an everyday basis? And isn't that tiring? Like, how do you continue the healing in those spaces where, f for me, if I look at you, I'm just like, you know, warrior or, you know, is that is that deliberate? Or it's just, it, it just comes with the territory? Mm-hmm. So there is there is uh, there is a warriorness. So let me bring into the story now that I am the mother of three daughters, and the warrior was awakened when I became pregnant for the third time. And we didn't expect like any intelligent couple uh, with half a brain uh, to have more than two children, but we got pregnant. And like any other couple, we tried not to get pregnant, but we got pregnant. And then we looked at each other and we said, we're in love. We have managed to build a home and a family. And now this child is coming. And isn't that a miracle? That's our response as the two people who don't know what they're signing up for. But certainly that is their first response. Like, wow, you know, there's there's a, clearly some higher power that says you're going to have three children. And of course, I think also there is something extraordinary. There is, there is a spiritual dimension to motherhood. You almost know your children before you even conceive them. And when you conceive them, so certainly you know a lot. I mean, a lot of us do. I, I certainly <laughs> felt like that. And I go to the gynecologist and she says, do you want to abort? And I'm like, no. Why are you even asking me that question? I mention to any friend and say, oh, you want a boy? Oh, you want a boy? And we're like, what? Where is this coming from? So that experience of being judged and of being... Uh, of like being judged on every level, like you're stupid to have three children, you're careless to have three children, you only want three children because you want a boy, you want three children because you're married to a Muslim and Muslims want boys, so they are making you. And these were my best friends. And I was like, do you not know who I am? Have you forgotten the Natasha you always knew? And yet it was... 
it was it just came from everywhere and coming from strangers it would have hurt me but it came from the closest people and really uh, there was no other way to then respond except for the inner warrior mm. to wake up and say back off nobody mm. is going to think a bad thought about my third child or about us and i think midway in my pregnancy i knew that it's a daughter so, uh we knew so to partly answer your question sometimes you get pushed into that position but for me also motherhood brought a lot of softness and i think it took me back to my original softness you know what you have as a as a child who has a sense of justice but also has a sense of kindness and i think it comes naturally to children but as you grow up and particularly if you work in television as i chose to and particularly if you're a woman growing up in delhi oh man you 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 know you are wearing your uh, armor all the time and you're ready to bring out your weapon because your survival depends on that so i had actually by my early 30s become a very hard-nosed person capable of extreme meanness because that is what television uh being a te- tv journalist taught me and you know leaving that and being with the children and watching them kind of it it uh, it it reminds you of where you've come from and uh, and they they remind you you know my my daughters were calling me out from a very very early time you know if i like if i'm being you know gentle mama and then suddenly there's this big birthday party and now mama is losing it and saying bas kalo abhi yahi milega or you have to wear this i have many things to do and they'd be like that according to the norms set by this family you are, you, you are violating them and then i would have to reflect on what did i really want to be you know and this that that sentence in the book uh, that i didn't intend to embark on a self improvement project but there's no other ways there yeah uh, yeah what you're saying about healing and priya i'm glad you brought that up because often enough we think healing looks a certain way it's got to be this beautiful like <laughs> yeah. nice things that are happening to us <clears throat> i wonder if healing also looks like you know this raging warriors that we become for a very long time and even today i'm convinced that my rage and my anger is a protective force for me my family my kids uh, because that is what enables me to go ask a teacher why are you talking like that to my child or talk to strangers and and tell them that's how my child's hair looks they don't put oil they don't like it um so i am i am learning to appreciate that what we are calling healing or what j- just the acceptance of the rage and the anger coming up but many people around me are not 
they are seeing it as unnecessary, inconvenient. Sometimes even my children, because they've heard from everybody say, uh, yelling is bad. Your mama is not meant to yell. Oh, your mama yells at you. That's so sad. And uh, or sometimes like my daughter Nantara says that uh, you're very, you're very uh, kadak with, with people. You're too kadak with them. You don't have to be like that. I know I'm being watched. So, um, you know, so what I'm trying to get at is that, yes, healing can look very different and it can look like very, you know, warrior, Kalima engaging situation. All of it also takes me to understand that of our resourcefulness, right? And you said you were asking yourself, am I an artist through your process? Am I an artist? I'm creating this. I'm writing this. And people are appreciating this. People are finding this joyous. Any suggestions or any ways in which uh, we can take back this belief of in our resourcefulness and our resilience? Something that we can tap into or maybe just call out and reach out from the outside world, the, the supportive communities we might have built up or in that small, tiny space that we are also understanding our spaces, which we can, uh, small acts of other people, which we can hold on to. So any suggestions on how can we tap on that resourcefulness that we all have? Yeah, uh, one of the things I wanted to say when I was hearing you uh, was that I hope I didn't, uh, or that we, are, you know, we didn't accidentally create a dichotomy between being warrior and being gentle, mm. right? Because you're both, you have to be both, you want to be both, and both of them are your strengths. And uh, you will get a lot done with the power of your, with the strength of your gentleness, your kindness, your generosity, your beatific peacefulness, inner peace. <laughs> And, and you will get a lot done by channeling your rage against what is wrong. There are some things that it's inappropriate to smile through and you must call them out. And then there are other things that you want to kind of relook at, do, you know, what, why is this really hurting me? Why is this making me angry? And can I just step out of this situation? And in this whole family dynamic thing and social dynamic thing, I have found that I can. That I just have to leave. I don't have to fix them. I, I don't have to change how my sister-in-law speaks or my brother-in-law looks. I don't have to meet them. That is my power. Or I can meet them in the way that it works for me. And, you know, I've learned a lot for the last two years, I've been uh, doing these writing workshops mm -hmm. online. Yes. And they're called the Orca Sky Memoir Workshops. Mm -hmm. And I call them memoir because when I felt that I was ready to be some kind of a writing mentor, that I could create a space in which uh, people could write their own stories, I was like, who are you? And and at least I was a celebrated memoirist. So I said, okay, stick to your lane. And, and you know, I called it uh, the memoir workshop. But somehow because of the years, the 10, 12 years that the column has been out there, the blog's been out there, 
uh, and the books have been out there. Somehow, uh, I, I expected to do two workshops, but they just continue to, mm. you know, there, there's so many sign-ups that we continue to do them. Three years and now I have a, a, a partner who also works mm. with me, uh, Raju. And somehow it has attracted a lot of women. So so we have 10 women and three men typically in a in a workshop and and that process uh, of writing our own stories has actually offered many insights into how we heal to to kind of answer your question on what we've we've just been like observers because while I started with, you got to prepare, you got to have this ready, that ready, what are your tools, what are your techniques, quote someone, bring a guest. With time, we realized people are coming completely ready to do their own work. You, if, if we do nothing, if we just provide a space in which it is okay to be all of you, it's okay to be vulnerable, to have made a mistake, to recount uh, a story in which you weren't your best self, to recount, uh, you know, your trauma or abuse and not be uh, judged or pitied or, you know, not responded to in a way that belittles you seems to be the healing that people need. And it, it really struck me that, my God, so many of us and 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 it's all privileged people yeah. so far in the workshop how many of us are living our lives feeling unheard and unseen and you come into a space and you you know and we say tell us something about yourself that you've never told anyone and people are already crying and you're like what is happening a, a kind of takeaway from this experience has been one I had to acknowledge, despite my having invisibilized my own writerhood, because, okay, it's done and, you know, if, if your book is five years old, then you're not a writer anymore unless you write a new book, kind of judgments start kind of clouding your brain. But I realized that everything you've done has had such an impact that people are, you know, you the minute you open a door and create a space, people come there. And and they are, uh, and they are ready to. I don't have to encourage them to tell their story. They want to tell their story, and that's why they're coming there. And we are feeling healed by that experience. Hmm. So one of the things I'm realizing is that we are all seeking, and and you know, in a way that this this three way conversation we are having on this podcast, hmm. we just found each other, right? Mm -hmm. And 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 made it happen, and and now thousands yeah. of people are going to listen and take away whatever they want from it. Mm. So, yeah, finding spaces where you can be uh, your your entire self mm. and, and you can make a mistake and not have to be steeped in shame and and you can you can really take off your masks and not have to act a certain way mm. because that's your position in some social hierarchy yeah and and i think and 
and and then we report to each other that uh, our husbands are uh, wondering uh, you know wh- where do you go that you come back <laughs> you know you you mm. kind of you 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 are your better self yeah, rejuvenated yeah i always go back happier i keep telling them that this is my therapy <laughs> like you know you guys are psychologists and all i'm just like yeah. the, just talking to them i realized was so much of you know finding that commonality and that shared experience and us actually verbalizing because earlier it was insta stalking someone whether it was you or, you know you just keep quiet and then don't say anything and then you know maybe like it or whatever yeah and i think like when you actually say something i mean when you actually verbalize in whatever form I remember so I subscribed to your Substack and one of the um I think it was through the Orcus Sky memoir writing somebody wrote about breasts and it was such an amazing essay, because I remember like when my kids were born I was like Amazon woman I was like I can't be bothered okay like you know these these things get pumped and I'm pumping 1.8 liters of milk a day I'm not bothered and I remember reading that essay that I think her name was Swati Swati, Swati Chattopadhyay yeah. yeah and she's this absolutely gorgeous dancer because I insta stalked her also <laughs> it was like I have to know like what those best yeah. look like you know just like that and just reading her essay empowered me like i felt like oh she stole my story she said why i was that amazon woman roaming around like barechested and i didn't care that i had a little boy in the house and he would wonder like i said these serve a purpose uh, for a baby who is allergic to formula I have to these are her sustenance for x amount and yeah. it was such it was so empowering and she writes about how her breasts were this thing that empowered her and i think you know from being hypersexualized and all she just took all of that out and it all you know and yeah she completely does away with shame yeah, mm. yeah. she also talks about how her her teacher calls her out when she's you know she's supposed to cup her breasts yeah. in a dancing yeah. pose and instead of her breasts she's putting her hands somewhere yeah. lower yeah. and her teacher says you know swati are your breasts down there yeah. <laughs> yeah so so one person actually taking the decision to do away with shame yes is is just so empowering yeah. uh, for others sounds and, almost contagious that yeah. you know the process of you know maybe we can do this we can get get this out of us because we've been shamed and invisibilized for so long i guess there is a certain kind of willingness we also need to receive somebody else's story to pay attention to that sometimes we are really caught up in our own heads and our own um sadness and our own grief because grief does take a lot of space and and for years that i have been grieving that the loss of say a younger self or loss of maybe a certain kind of a body or loss of certain kind of relationships and friendships can i cultivate a willingness uh, that can that can uplift me that can empower me can i cultivate that willingness i i'm just kind of going there right now 
but of course we can really go anywhere it's just something that i'm leaving here and and wondering yeah, and, and i i think grief is a word that had to come <laughs> i'm glad it's come um yeah i found uh, myself grieving for things i didn't know uh, were hurting yeah. you know and i found myself celebrating things i didn't hmm um i had not seen anyone else <laughs> celebrating <laughs> and um and just allowing this you know the what breaks when i when i cry i i allow something to break and and just you know i allow myself to my shoulders to heave and my self to look <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. broken you know grieving for what uh, what i thought i would be and grieving for uh, what i put up with when i didn't know i had a choice and and you think where is this coming from i mean just this act of holding a baby and breastfeeding her and all these tears are flowing <laughs> oh you know you're up at 2 am and of course if you talk to anyone they'll say hormones mm. or they'll uh, you know tell you what mm. anti anxiety medication to take that will not affect <laughs> the breast <laughs> the breasts <laughs> uh but but not really create a space where it is okay okay mm. to feel uh like this and to feel it uh, fully to let it pass through you to let it stay in you to let it live its life mm yeah i find that in that there is a there is a the readiness of each one of us to this opening up is is different at different times um i've i've for the longest time i would not read you know if people would read me and send me uh things written by other mothers and i'd be like i don't read parenting blogs i i had a resistance mm. i didn't want to uh, read i was not open to allowing something to come into me when I, when i needed more space for things to go out of me mm. and it took many years before i could you know become uh, a reader of a certain kind mm-hmm. and i i think most of all you learn when you decide to stop judging yourself you realize for years how many things you judge yourself for like literally how, how everything and it's both something that you have acquired from socialization but also something that you have yourself cultivated because of your own sense of right and wrong and you have to let all of that shift because it just it turns up as a conflict constantly uh when you're being a parent absolutely yeah i would say ando this is more like <laughs> let it all come yeah. let it all come yeah. i think i'm going to quickly segue into the last time i had like a proper meltdown was when i realized that my son was in the wrong school and was just you know reliving a very traumatic childhood that i had kind of survived because of the school i was in and i thought i had kind of made all these informed decisions and put him in the perfect place that would foster his individuality and all of that and all those dreams sort of one night after 
a lot of uh, observation and things it just all came crashing down and that's when gorov said i think we need to speak to natasha and i literally at night just had a meltdown about seeing my unhappy child and it was almost like i felt ptsd like i really felt that that i cannot believe that after making all these you know great choices giving up my career you know putting everything into this child and he's having exactly the same this cannot be groundhog day on this it cannot be so i feel like i would love to just move our conversation towards that because that that's something a lot of our listeners have asked about and you know your journey with your daughters that that realization and when it came that okay our current school system doesn't work for any child really it doesn't and when you had the agency to actually say that okay is it's enough and take them into the conversation i know it happened at different times for for your children but that realization did come in and if you can talk about that experience i would describe my uh, realization of i did everything differently i was conscious of everything that went wrong in my childhood very thought through decisions and very thought through actions from our part on our part as parents to not let the same kind of traumas and and hurts accumulate from in their schooling years and my daughter at exactly the same age as me has the exact same kind of meltdown and yeah i i was like wow <laughs> uh you know and it came with shame it came with everybody's going to see that tum bahut ban rahi thi you know you you were the one who was so seemed to be so sure of yeah, yourself so yeah so sure so sure of what you were doing and how do you explain this and uh, my mom actually held uh, held me held my hand and walked me through that moment where uh, she said uh, you were exactly like your daughter at this age and you are the best person to help her right to now to help her right now because i didn't know but you know what what she's going through you know what is causing it you know how you came out and you know so just that one line turned my a uh, perception from i have failed to i am in the right place at the right time and you know it's 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 a much longer much more complex um uh, structure and um, dynamics that are taking place and uh, just you're going to take it a day at a time and you're going to carry on and uh, that you know the, um, this i'm talking about my middle daughter turning 12 and 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 finding that she just couldn't go to school anymore uh that she'd been holding too much for too long protecting me from what she was feeling because she knew that 
mom will overreact and she didn't want mom to interfere so she you know she was and and then she couldn't take it anymore so uh, th- that really pretty much uh, led the unschooling years in our family so one of the three children had to act it out but everybody was experiencing it our our older two daughters they left school when they were 14 and 12 or just a little older than that and the younger one uh, quit on her 11th birthday um that was her last day <laughs> she went to school on her birthday she <laughs> fell down running she broke her arm she didn't go to school after that and then she never went to school after that. <laughs> so lots of things happened at the same time yeah so uh, homeschooling is something that i had uh, been reading about even before i had had children it's something that had i'd been interested in curious about wanted to do i didn't feel that i individually had the resources to be able to to homeschool the kids i didn't feel strong enough uh, supported enough um, my husband was not quite with it uh, he hadn't lived my life of a school girl in the big city uh so it wasn't as much of a big deal for him but when by the time uh, you know the children are kind of entering their early teens and we've tried everything from changing schools to constantly negotiating to mm. constantly speaking to the best people in the system and there are very good people in the system but the system is uh, it's it's not uh, you know i mean the best person in the system said you're doing the right thing when when we said to the school principal that we're choosing homeschooling she said you're doing the right thing you you will be able to do it and i i i endorse it so we we started from there and um, it's no less difficult than anything else in life there is no script everybody will uh, live a, a different one every child will have their own rhythm you're not only are the children on schooling now you're also de-schooling yourself you're giving up so many of your very simple ideas of but at least you're supposed to wake up in the morning right and mm. at least you're supposed to sleep at a certain time and aren't you supposed to eat healthy three times a day mm. i mean at least something is a given but in unschooling nothing is mm. uh and uh, why do you need to change your ways you need to understand that what is the long term aim what are going to be short term consequences do you have the support the resources the stamina for it on an on an everyday basis so in that sense it's a it's a very challenging it choice yeah. it's a very challenging yeah. choice we were able to make it at the right time well partly because our child couldn't cope without it so it was a necessity mm. our child was ready for it when we offered that choice many children are not are, are not able to imagine or accept the loss of friends and mm. the a, a certain s- structure of their social life mm. but our children were ready uh, we were able to connect to the larger unschooling community in india in the world 
again, the internet is a you know, great resource. So most, many, many unschooling parents are, there are TED Talks and blogs and you know, there's a lot of resources. And it's a concept that's being spoken about at least for 40 years, uh, at least since the 70s. And um, I remember uh, myself reading a book uh, by John Holt, How Children Fail and How Children Learn, in my school library. So, you know, school was a traumatic place, but it had a really good library. <laughs> and, uh, and then buying it with my first pocket money mm. when I got out of school to have access to the book. I still have access to those. I still have those copies on my desk. Um, so the resources are there, and uh, but it has to be your need, and 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 literally everybody is then designing something which is very individual. So then you build that uh, confidence also, and and it's it's not an individual journey. It is it we are part of a community. So in fact, in January we are going to be we're going to spend three days with the an unschooling community of four hundred people. In March, again, we'll go and meet them. Now the children have friends all over the country, so they support each other. So uh, it's a, it's almost like a parallel uh, social space that is um, nurturing and very generous. Uh, so it, you, you also realize that, my God, there are so many possibilities that you had been made to believe are not possible. Mm. I, I, uh, like I've discussed in the podcast, and I won't take too much time with that, that I, I couldn't homeschool my two kids. I tried after the pandemic, uh, so for two years, about two years, and it, uh, it was difficult for many reasons. One of them being that I didn't feel supported. I just, you know, it, it just felt like I had no sense of anything and the days were going and you know the unschooling part of it which is like shouldn't we be sitting and eating together and you know you've written in your book and your middle daughter would just take her plate go and sit and have her own meal and i'm like Mere ghar mein to ye ho agar main bhi to. somebody will say ki family ko saath mein khana chahiye. so it might look different for different people like you're saying for different families and and i i couldn't see it through and my kids went to grade two straight straight up grade to mainstream school and we are having a miserable time right now i'm not sure how long we'll i want to sustain this but then i'm thinking um some very basic things right like we are here all three of us are here right now i'm wondering why we're doing things like this which are either of our own interest or related to getting an income into the household where are the kids at that time where do they go because you know, apart from leaving them at my parents, I would find that there was no grown-up I could leave them with to just kind of keep them engaged, do activities with them. Where do I leave them? Is there a center that would be like, okay, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you get go there for five hours and you will get your, you know, playtime, you'll get your good library. I don't know of a place like this. So I'm thinking for a parent like me, who has known about, you know, I'm coming back to the knowing and the doing. I've known about this for a while. How do I translate it? How do I, you know, if I wish to go back to it as my kids get older and perhaps act out 
like your daughter did and then I'm like you know I can't push this anymore I'm going to keep them at home what do I do the first morning when that happens <laughs> <laughs> nothing <laughs> That is the joy of the unschooling parent. Yeah, I'm not parent. making that tiffin at six Nothing. in the morning, which is awesome. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah you know, you're also uh, speaking from a very Delhi perspective. Uh, it's uh, we couldn't find a place in Delhi hmm. either. So we also then, you know, in the final schooling years, we were looking for alternate schools hmm. Hmm. Uh, and sent our daughter to one of them, the youngest one, to one of them for a, for a while. But uh, other cities have created uh, spaces. So people, what ha- what people have done in the communities, that whatever the need of the family is, mm-hmm. then you you create a space. So we have okay. uh, friends in Pune, right? Okay. Um, Sharmila Govande and Chetanya Govande. When there, you know, they they took their two boys out of school, and their uh, youngest daughter was very young, so she wasn't going to school yet. They started a uh, a space where uh, unschooling children could come uh, mm. three times a week in their own home. Mm. So they had a need and they created a solution for other people to come. It worked for some time and then their children didn't have that need or that, or, or you know, that need wasn't getting met this way. So, so that uh, changed. There's a, a group called Shikshantar in Udaipur. Mm. Mm. Uh, they've created a space where uh, they organize um, trips for unschooling children. They they invite unschooling children to come and stay at Shikshantar. Mm. So uh, my uh, oldest daughter went there. So they went to the jail uh, and spent a day there. They mm. went into the marketplace and uh, looked at people's livelihood. It was quite structured. They went into a village. And... Then she made friends there who are now her friends. So she's got two in Ahmedabad, two in Bangalore, one in Oroville. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they, they, they stay connected. Um, so in a sense, you know what people begin to do in college and university? Unschooling kids are doing that earlier. And they're also doing that because they're ready for it. Mm. I have to, in when my children are having, you know, their worst moments of self-doubt, I I say this because I genuinely believe this. And, you know, what their self-doubt will be, okay, my peers are doing this, this, and this. Mm. I'm doing nothing. Uh, if I'm not doing what I have chosen not, you know, if I have, uh, I, I know what I'm not doing, but what have I replaced it with? And sometimes they are not able to uh, name it. Sometimes they're, uh, you know, it's it's intangible. W- mm. What are you doing? You're being with yourself. You are doing yoga and meditation. Why? Why would a thirteen-year-old do that? But I, I, I look at them and I say, all they're doing is be ahead of their time. You know, you have to go through hurt and trauma. And then you have to come out wasted. You have to have a meltdown at 31 and another one at 41. And then you go for Vipassana. <laughs> but how about having one at 12 and 13 and, you know, choosing your way of uh, whatever it is that heals you and carrying on? So a lot of my friends will say, but what about livelihood? And 
here are you know parents who have earned very hard and you know done things they didn't want to do to earn mm-hmm. a certain amount of money and now they're thinking oh i'll live on a farm i'll go to the mountain and here's a generation of kids that is saying we'll live on a farm we'll <laughs> live on a mountain we will not be beholden to jobs for money that will enable a certain lifestyle i already choose that alternate lifestyle how healthy is that you know here's a child who only wants to spend time with horses why do you have to wait till you become 70 mm. uh and then get to do what you always wanted to mm. do you're choosing it earlier and i i don't mean to simplify it there is of course um, you know you do need some kind of financial stability some and again you know th- there's a lot of class bias that we have to look at I'm glad you bring do we that have up. to do we have to only live in a flat in south delhi do i need to earn 1 lakh can i not you know live in a place where i can earn 30000 and do okay can i not earn 30000 for 8 months and not earn anything and it's the it's people who have chosen these alternate lifestyles there there's now it's a very rich and vibrant network of communities in india today Mm-hmm. where you can choose to go and live on farms you can choose to um, uh, you know uh, uh, travel school mm-hmm. uh, where the school you know is just a word that we use yeah uh, but you're living in the mountains you're living by the beach and and you're earning just enough to be able to travel feed yourself pay your rents mm-hmm. uh, so so you 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 do then look very you know you you change your idea of success and perhaps that's the hardest part hmm. because you are then being defined aren't you you ha- you have to be hmm. of of what you're told is the only way to do things i have a question and this keeps coming up because we've just started the process and uh, you're always faced with a lot of it's either Oh my god you have no idea what you're getting yourself into and you'll mess up your child completely and it's always just trying to uh instill doubt in the parents and like our first meeting with our child's principal was just that that do you know what you're getting yourself into everyone is trying and praying on insecurity because it is a big step and you know in your heart why you're doing it because it is your child's need and when you have gotten to the point where it has become a need also people keep harping about this whole socialization thing and uh, another person that you had mentioned was aparna vedik who's homeschooling uh, she's a professor of history in ashoka and she's homeschooling her two boys and i had a conversation with her because at the time that we interacted just after meeting the school principal i was really like what am i doing are we sure and and they sort of said that take your time and we'll take this slowly and i and i remember you saying like let your child guide you and i said yes i'm going to keep that as that foundational thought because that's what spurred all of this on and it has taken months of preparation and letting him get to a point where he said 
you know okay i want to leave but it's always that when you meet your regular circle they're like oh you know you're really brave and you're you know aap log kar paoge because you know you are educationists and you know you're in this and you are at home and but i don't think we'll be able to do this. so we meet a lot of that and then it's like it's our child's friends saying that you know but what about his friends and i remember these kids a couple of days ago were sitting at a table and he was having his christmas party that he has every year and i said all of you are sitting here will you stop coming to our house just because he's not they like no i said will you stop meeting us all the kids were like no no so i said then you have your answer that these dynamics don't change you've grown up together and now you're so much more than just school friends but people put that thing of socialization and aparna in our phone conversation in my very desperate state said that think about it how much of socialization and that whole concept actually comes in school because school is so divided between the kids who are the bullies and the kids who are you know just invisible and uh, reading a book in a corner so that they don't interact with anyone that's not socialization socialization is their everyday lives where they see their parents who are their safe people interacting how they interact with other people how they let the world in and and then i was like yeah and she's like that's why your kids made it out through covid and those two years without large problems it's just because they saw how you function and that really took the pressure off her just saying that school mein nahi hota socialization and nobody had ever said that to me everyone had just said what about his friends what about his friends and he had that thought in his head that what about my friends and i'm just missing my friends and when i told him i said that but all your meaning meaningful relationships are based on the interactions that you have had at home because they come home and that's never going to stop and so now he's like yeah cool okay एजेंसी and that okay they'll sort themselves out if they're teenagers or things like that but when it comes to an, a younger child there's so much more parental involvement that goes into it which is why people say that you'll be able to do it we won't mm-hmm. parental and, involvement uh, is involved uh, is is at every age uh, mm. i mean if if i um i'm able to say that my children were ready for it uh, i had to make myself ready for it <laughs> and i had to make myself you know and that one of the things that uh, came up earlier was uh, where do i leave them so when i have nowhere to leave them i take them hmm. so my daughter has attended any number of conference room meetings and you know sat outside in on in the reception with her drawing books i just took them everywhere uh, on shoots uh, to meetings and the world is 
wonderful place you know they they, they love to have a little child in the office and uh, i mean now they don't want to go anywhere with me because people talk to them about having read about them as little ones so they're like will people know us there we don't want to go <laughs> but uh, that that is different you know when my daughter heard about um, your family uh, thinking about unschooling for ishan and uh, and alisa she's now 18 uh, she said uh, they must do it as soon as they can the younger the child is the better it is mama the head gets too much full of muck the more you know the longer you have spent in school the harder it gets because you have internalized so much of what is the uh, right thing to do the successful thing to do when she was quitting school in class 7 one of her friends says to her what are you going to write in your cv class 8 pass you know so, mm. so i mean this is this is not the language of a teenager this is a teenager speaking like an older person kind of mocking you that you're going to get nowhere uh, so you hear this the, the Uh, but but is that person really the one you want to socialize with anyway you're going to avoid her in school and uh, i wanted to also say something about there will be gaps life is not designed for anybody to get everything all the time at the same time right so we are forced to choose a certain set of subjects mm-hmm. we have to let go of another right mm-hmm. cannot do football and music this year because it's your board year yeah. you might be gifted in music and football but now you have i mean how oppressive is it to live through uh, those years and how much of your mental health is impacted for years and years because of that choice you have made but that is a socially sanctioned choice so you must adhere to it now if you make a choice where you get to do what you want to do but you don't have access to your friends then we'll feel sorry for you then we'll make you feel like you made the wrong choice but that's uh, you know you all you're doing is assume agency that's literally what you're doing so obviously all the forces of patriarchy capitalism <laughs> feudalism every other structure political and social is going to question you and try to dissuade you because you are defying a structure in which everybody has a certain role to play and you're saying i'm going to show you that i can live without having to do that not easy for the rest of the world to swallow and uh, so so you know a lot of well meaning not so well meaning things will just sound like warnings and very alarmist mm-hmm. messages but uh, really i mean when you get admission in the most prestigious place and you live through those years at the cost of your mental health when you go through self harm suicidal ideation i mean we are living through a pandemic of mental health crisis mm-hmm. you know in every few months we'll read an article and forward it to each other because some american publication has written it and think that it's happening to them and it's not happening to us but we are it is i mean i teach in a university half my class is in therapy the other half needs it more yeah 
and and this is not to say that you know that there's something wrong with them this is to say that we are all kind of choosing you know to kind of go through something in an unthinking way that is that that is just not working for us i think that's what when i spoke to aparna she said that people don't realize that the whole concept of schooling came about like just about 200 years ago and before that there was no concept of this this formalized schooling you would usually you know work on your trade and um so we've been thinking about this for a few months and uh, for the better part of this year i've been sort of mulling over it i took ishan to bombay with me just to meet interesting people who had a take and this is through amit so amit is like let me get him to meet all these amazing people so amit got you know ajay shah and india's best poker player and the last disciple of annapurna devi and you know a few absolutely incredible individuals in this room all talking to ishan and ajay goes you're going to live till you're 150 the way things are going with science and all so don't like don't talk about like 20 years or you should have like various things you want to do and and ishan is like yeah you know yes suddenly his mind is being blown by all these people who are just like school is nothing and every overachiever in that room who's absolutely incredible and uh, you know at the forefront of each of their uh, disciplines um just said that school means nothing and school is just following your the real school is just following your passion and ajay told us that one of the greatest examples of homeschooling or unschooling is uh, the great mukesh ambani himself who taught himself like while on the job in geo apparently there are these framed formula that he figured out based on just his understanding of telecommunications and things he said that there that that's the richest man who is an unschooler so don't box yourself in and then you know when ishan heard all of those stories he was like yeah like why he got back and he's like i'm not going to school anymore and that's all it took it took real world people saying that school was just nothing to us school was something you had to get through you just had to and, get and, through and even college for many people was yeah. something you got through and then yeah and then you took the gap year yeah. and found yourself yeah. i came out of college and i said one year i will work i'll make money and then i'll do what i want yeah. to Of course, it took longer than one year. I hadn't yeah. done my maths properly, yeah. but good ten years. But, but no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the maths did, didn't uh, happen. So, I've been listening to both of you about homeschooling, unschooling. I have my little own experience around that, and I'm thinking some of us have the intent, but don't believe we have the choice because I heard the word choice really come in, where we can choose curriculum, we can choose. maybe you know uh, a certain kind of unlearning we can choose a community in a village i don't know if i have that agency i don't know if i can create that choice because sometimes i don't have say um i can't get up and pack my house and go to a space which will provide that or what if i don't have the choice of 
But if I'm a really quiet, reserved person and I can't go talk to, say, somebody and say, can my kid have 10 other people to chat with? I'm thinking of so many ways in which our agency gets disrupted or our agency is not experienced at all or supported. We might have the intent, but not the choice. What do we do then? Any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I have um, thousands of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you know, we we, uh, we we are we are going to be very protective and very kind and very uh, capacious about how we understand agency. You know, it doesn't only mean that you have the ability to chuck everything in your life and start all over again. And if you don't, if you don't have that, then you don't have agency. It means wherever you are stuck, and we will be stuck, we are all stuck somewhere or the other. Mm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things where some of us are. When you are stuck, then what are the choices you exercise? So if I, when, when, if my child did not want to quit school, or if I could not, not choose school, if we had to, then what were we doing? You know, how... Uh, were we redefining, were we negotiating with the whole concept of you're not doing well if you get bad marks, you have to have a certain kind of attendance, you have to dress like this, walk like this, um, you know, you, you can only take these kind of subjects, can't take those kind of subjects. Uh, there, there's so many choices, even then, right? And, and now my children, uh, after nearly three or four, year, four years plus of being out of school, now they look back and they, they reflect on what they were doing when they were stuck. Mm-hmm. And, and they have, you know, very divergent stories based on their personalities of the kind of choices they made. So, and I, uh, it's a little mortifying for me as a parent to know, to find out through those stories that at the time when I thought I knew everything, about what was going on in their lives. They were living their own secret life as all children have always done. So, you know, we can look back and say, my parents knew nothing, but my children, (laughs) whose mother hovered and asked and articulated and spoke and documented (laughs) and, you know, filmed and everything, also... Uh, didn't know a lot about what was going on with their inner world. And uh, so my my daughter who, you know, who, who seemed to be very well adjusted, uh, the first one, the oldest uh, child who just kind of uh, seemed like she's very able to deal with everything while the rest of us crumble. She shares about uh, how she tackled bullying, how she tackle uh, tackled misogyny in her class, what she did when she got left behind in maths and felt like she was never going to catch up. Uh, how did she deal with, uh, you know, how come she was so good at Hindi uh, when she didn't really like writing Hindi? And so, so you know, children, children are always stuck. 
Mm. And and we will be, you know, it's only in these uh, in these very uh, privileged middle years of adulthood that we have this kind of uh, mythical sense of power mm. that we can do anything. And I'm still not doing it, so mm. I'm failing. Mm. But uh, you know, in in every other way, there will be so many inabilities and uh, and and disabilities, and the power of your imagination. Is is something that will always uh, come to rescue you, and your constant questioning of what is seen as good, right, the only way to do things. Right. So, so you know, a lot of people are, are uh, say continuing with school, but being okay with the forty percent. Mm-hmm. You just have to pass. Mm-hmm. And and you know, I'm going to like Tom Sawyer. I'm going to wear that as mm-hmm. a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are people who are, they won't technically be unschoolers, but, uh, you know, I know this young child called Indy, and she just basically just went through school and exams, but horses is her love. And uh, she's, you know, trained to be an equestrian jockey and mm. school khatam, move on. Mm. And her entire sense of joy, happiness, confidence, Uh, and so much uh, social um, you know ability to to be okay with herself in a social space comes from the fact that she and her parent have given her ha- have recognized that that mm-hmm. she has a deep connection with a particular sport and a particular animal and that that must be nurtured at the right time so it has taken negotiating with the school mm-hmm. it has taken uh, explaining things to everybody so i i feel that we need to look at it constantly because you can be an unschooler and then get trapped again into if i don't become mukesh ambani then i've still failed right mm. that's what i was wondering right? because many times and if I'm, i'm not an overachiever at whatever i do i have failed but you have you know what unschooling is really giving you an opportunity to do mm-hmm. is look at you don't have to do anything mm. to be okay you don't mm. have you know you don't have to prove mm-hmm. uh excellence in anything to be okay mm. to be loved to be accepted to be, yeah, to be celebrated yeah, yeah because we put so many conditions on our children right especially yeah. in the school or maybe even outside that to you know put themselves out there in a way um yeah. and i wonder if that's really what is important for them yeah so this brings me to my last thought and my last question mostly unless of course something else comes up uh how do we start listening to our little ones how do where do we start paying attention to what they are saying because maybe that's also what the school needs to do the teachers need to do okay wo nahi kar rahe hum kar sakte hain shayad maybe we can try that maybe we can um yeah listen to them and 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 like you know you heard uh, like you said i prepared i was so prepared and yet when my older one was telling me about her in a world and the difficulties in her school life i was like wow right but you listened maybe some of us don't have the capacity to listen or maybe some of us talk over our kids i'm also thinking you know some of us uh, have not had anybody who listened to us and still don't 
we don't have bosses who are kind or we go through four hours of travel to reach that office and to do that work or we have our uh, lunch sitting separately or we are told are aap ladki ho aap ye nahi kar paoge to hame nahi suna gaya hai how do we provide that for our children then in yeah. fact to the most powerless of all why should we give it to the child of all you know and gunjan the answer is in your question no the, that you can't heal your child unless you heal yourself and you 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 cannot teach yourself how to listen to them mm-hmm. deeply till you begin to listen to yourself and if no one else did it for you then uh you will do two things you will find that place where you will get heard and our subconscious leads us it's not like we look up the internet and say we will i get heard and it turns up but we are drawn to certain things and we allow ourselves to mm. and and we and we become then the first person who does listen yeah no and one of the things i mean for example therapy is a place right mm. but uh, one of the things we need to do so much is uh, normalize seeking therapy mm-hmm. mm. is is seeing ourselves as fulfilled successful happy people who seek therapy mm. doesn't it doesn't have to mean that i am failing or i am broken mm. or i i i need to be fixed mm. i am seeking answers to questions that i didn't find answers to elsewhere mm. and there's so many um, therapeutic things and in a way somehow those pandemic years and the lockdown kind of just we discovered we discovered i feel you know some of us who started baking bread mm. discovered that my god this is so calming and then we never stopped mm. or we stopped but we if we remind ourselves we might start again mm. some of us began to write we began to make music mm. so yeah and there's so much healing that art offers mm. but the notion of art that schooling Yeah. and workplaces give us is that if it's not good enough to go into a gallery mm. it's not worth doing if your film won't win an award don't make it mm. you're wasting your time and questioning that finding communities and it's easier and easier now to actually find communities mm. where people will write just for the joy of writing paint just for the for what it gives them the tranquility that mm. they might get or meditate or yoga or mm. all of those things we we have to we have to change the narrative yeah and uh, like really um, at an escalated uh, pace now because somehow um, i'm sure you know you know much more about this as a psychotherapist somehow nobody has come out of the lockdown years unscathed mm-hmm. like uh, now when i my anxiety is palpable mm. and sometimes i'm like what has happened to me i was not like this before and then if i sit down and i think about it i can remember my anxiety that was just below the mm. surface could be hidden and it just crossed a threshold because we collectively went through something mm. that 
uh, shook our sense of uh, reality and life and death mm. and permanence and uh, so all the more we uh, we need to be you know more focused on everything that is therapeutic mm. and all the solutions are somehow within us within our communities mm. within connections like the ones we are forming when we are recording this that makes a lot of sense and also gives us hope to kind of just start from where we are maybe yeah like i'm okay with my kids taking every friday off just so i can have a long weekend i work on weekends mostly and so if they're at home on friday then maybe i can hang a little bit with them of course there are some spaces where i'm finding it very hard to say hum aise hi karte hain kyunki mujhe jawab milta hai many times to aapko aise nahi karna chahiye you should do it the way it's meant to be done like i'm okay with reaching school gate late every day pretty much every day i'm yeah. rushing there and i get that look like aapko to aisa nahi karna chahiye you should know i'm figuring out i'm building on a language where i'll say well that's how it is for us it takes us it's difficult for us in the morning i'm not being able to say it yet but maybe this conversation has definitely given me that uh, hope and that belief that i'm very close to saying that i'm very close to uh, figuring out ways in which i can stand up for what works for us for my kids and what doesn't so yeah yeah i'm very very grateful for this conversation to provide that hope final thought to end off we've spoken a lot about therapy and ha- having spaces that are safe and creating those spaces for our kids and i remember you saying that it's a very privileged mindset to have this thing of healing and therapy and like i was told that you know you you would send a 9 year old to therapy and then i realized that yes it is coming from a very privileged space and as a writer who has found the therapeutic side to journaling and memoirs and just writing those everyday mundane things to actually i have at the end of it two absolutely beautiful books that may not have come about as i've got a book deal and so i'm writing this book but it came from just your form of therapy at that time maybe we could give that put that seed in a parent's mind to say that have your kids journal and just write about those hard feelings or you know just the everyday nitty gritties of your day and if you can make that into because that's something so many people that i've met recently are all saying you know just journal whether you know just journal just write down whatever you see whatever and what how could like a parent start that for a child because um somehow people get scared of art like mm. painting hum nahi kar sakte but somehow writing i feel like is a more uh democratic form of my son art. would not say that no, no. <laughs> he's yeah. going to say mai to nahi karunga i don't want to write and he doesn't want to write so i'm thinking of so many kids while you're saying that mm. thinking really because i mm. have a complete resistance to journaling now yeah. i did it so much like throughout every therapist would tell me just journal and i got sort of 
tired of it and a lot of people who i meet now say i can't do dear diary situation so journaling now can look like look very different like right. a scrapbook no. right like yeah, you're saying absolutely. where do we start where do we it start it doesn't always have to be writing that's what i think absolutely. what do you say yeah yeah and and i mean, i also had that thought when you said writing is more democratic mm. for for most people it's like i can't write yeah i can't write but you give them a coloring book and oh they have gone into one blissful oh it could thing. be taking photographs hmm it could yeah, really be yeah. any any form of taking videos yeah yeah taking videos now yeah and anything that uh, engages you growing plants hmm. uh, you know looking at your money plant ke roots mm. in the light uh, every day anything uh, mm. for me it's feeding cats i mean that's my journaling uh, i i i'm not journaling um at this time uh, but morning and evening i'm feeding my cats and i feel the same kind of physical release in my body as i hear them go chomp chomp mm. chomp 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 <laughs> happily and then you know that is uh really and to to i wanted to add two things one because it just came to me i feel that that's an expression of agency you know i may be in a moment where i'm not being able to reach out to my child or i have had a conversation with my husband that is making both of us feel not good or i've come back from work or i'm not being able to focus on whatever it is i need to do or they guess at home mm. and they're speaking loudly and i'll go out into the corridor outside my house where there are eight cats and i will feed them and it's my meditation my yoga my journaling mm. everything has happened in that moment i have stepped out of a situation in which i am feeling overwhelmed and i have allowed my system to calm down mm. and and it can it can really look very different but i had to teach myself i had to allow to give myself the permission to for that because i grew up without the permission to love animals mm. as you know as it was wrong it was a, a corruption of your time and mm. to spend money on animals oh you know morally wrong uh, on every ground uh, and you know so the parental voice saying you're wasting money and the the activist voice saying people are dying and you're wasting money on cats uh, you know and the cat community saying you are feeding them but you're not neutering them so judgment will come from everywhere but it's me saying i can do this it works for them it works for me and i will do this okay and 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 letting my husband take his time to realize this is fixing her brain it's good for me <laughs> i'm not going to interfere yeah. i'm going to let it happen mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen overnight it does take time I literally began to take on work assignments so that I could feed the cats because I needed the money so and you know it sounds like such a weird thing to say I took on an extra film this year so I could you know super tales has an account with me that goes into six mm. digits wow <laughs> 
That's that's uh, it's so important to know. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, but it's you know it's not uh, something that any kind of socializing gave me permission for. For most of us, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I wanted to add something just to that little anecdote about being late at school. Hmm. So many of us are late, and you know we can say, "Oh, my ADHD." Hmm. Oh, I'm, I have no discipline. It's because of you, you know. We, it, it, it mm-hmm. I'm, I'm always on time, except when I have to go out with my spouse. So therefore, they're, they're the problem. There's mm-hmm. so many ways, but you also kind of look at. So what if I'm late? No, which mm-hmm. is exactly what you're saying. You're on the verge of being able to say, mm-hmm. "I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I, I will not let you shame me, mm-hmm. and I will not shame myself." I was late for this podcast today <laughs> and I forgave myself mm. instantly. I mean I'm not a saint and I don't do this every day mm. but I trust Priya. Uh you know and I felt safe that I can say the truth to her I don't have to cover it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so and and when in my family in my own experience when we made it okay to be late mm. we found out that we are rarely late. <laughs> it's the anxiety hmm. uh that hmm. you know and the kind of and the fear that you will be judged by each other you always tum uth jana nahi to dekhna last time tumne kya kiya tha and now we like it doesn't matter whether we leave at 7 or 9 and at 7:30 we are all ready hmm. because everybody has so agency come you know it breaks down into very small small bits and then you begin to practice them very interestingly in my last episode my last recording i asked uh, somani who's a therapist who works with autistic children i said that what does support to parents with children on the spectrum look like and she said you know it's just showing up i think that just goes on to all our lives and everything that you do if you show that intentionality and you show that you want to be doing this and you want to whether it's with your kids or your work or your friends it's just that thing of showing up even if you're late as long as you've shown up that's what's most important and i think whether it's us showing up for our kids or it's showing up as women to support other women to support our partners when they need it it's just about showing up and creating those communities of people who want to be there and showing up for ourselves and so for ourselves i think very very importantly so because otherwise we invalidate what we go through if it becomes only about in our willingness or unwillingness to do something uh it can be like everything will be okay if you do this but many times everything or many things are not okay even when we are doing everything fine like you shared about your daughter like you kind of documented did everything right but yet she had an experience which was defining for her and also created like an opportunity for what do i do from here i am learning to accept more and more of that breakdown and that meltdown and that things not working out and seeing them as opportunities rather than as failures because many times when we put that sense of you know if only i would then this will happen but many many times agency is also uh, really about recognizing where your limit is it कहाँ पर आपको उससे ज़्यादा 
दूसरे चीजों का जरूरत होगा अदर पीपल नीड टू ज्वाइन इन द स्कूल द सिस्टम्स नीड टू चेंज विदाउट दैट आई थिंक इट कुड स्टिल बी वेरी शॉर्ट लिफ्ट दैट शोइंग अप I think I need to make this clear that it is not about just personal willingness intent only it is also about the collective the bigger change the the more people that come into the movement of asking schools why are we still teaching like that why are teachers still underpaid why are they not being able to utilize their own capacities for doing what they want to do so i would like to not just settle with things that i personally can do but i would also still like to keep questioning all the others who are around me the 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 the, the people or the systems rather uh, that still continue to oppress i would still like to hold them accountable yeah and that's very much integral to unschooling cuz you are you are asking questions yeah in fact i would imagine so that would be the basis yeah. you know let's unlearn this or let's you know even ask these questions let's show by example that there is a different way to do things and you know unschoolers are most successful so many of them are finding uh that their livelihood as educationists hmm. schools are inviting them I mean I'm an unschooling parent teaching in a university mm. taking all the principles of unschooling mm. in our family into my classroom mm. Gaurav is trained yeah. to be an engineer yeah but he's mm. teaching sound you're mm. trained to be a filmmaker but yeah. you're you know doing this podcast about different themes yeah. and in a way we are practicing unschooling we are saying mm. you know we can choose to do what we want and we will bring our value system into that work hmm and that will change things systematically books that cha- have changed your life or writings that have changed your life yeah i already mentioned one, one book yes. yeah mm, so that was perhaps the first non fiction book i read yeah. was john holt uh how children learn how children fail really stayed with me and i'm like oh, i'm 16 years old at that mm. time uh i'm not failing uh ostensibly <laughs> but i uh, you know that book was speaking to me mm. and um yeah so that that stuck with me i um, i chose to uh, study psychology mm. also like gunjan uh because i had to figure out something about <laughs> myself about uh, mental health about social psychology normal psychology as it was called at mm-hmm. that time in the 90s yeah so so i you know that became my special interest to read about memory learning uh, and particularly mental health i read a lot about addiction mm-hmm. although ostensibly i'm not an addict <laughs> I guess you know your potential. <laughs> <laughs> you would need it someday. I <laughs> I would really say that that's another area in which we need to break structures. You know, we equate reading with reading books mm. and a lot of us are so judgmental of ourselves. I can't read a book. I don't read books. I read Kindle, but I don't read physical. I buy, mm. but I don't read 
I don't I don't read books these days yeah. in the way that I start on page one and finish at the mm. last mm. page. But I am reading all the time. Mm. I'm constantly reading on my phone. I've got fifteen tabs open on my browser. I am reading essays on Medium, Substack, uh, every publication in the world. My you know social media is curated for. all my special interests to jump at me every morning so content on addiction on neurodiversity on mental health on education on learning all of that uh and uh, for me it's reading i know for many other people it's uh, youtube videos for somebody else it's podcasts and i think that we we have to acknowledge that we just absorb information and process it and seek it differently yeah. and, and again this whole supremacy of reading mm-hmm. is uh, just completely misplaced i think this is so interesting that you're the second author who's come on the podcast who's like i don't read as much and stop fetishizing no i reading. read a lot but i, I don't know, as in re- you know not you only yeah. in terms of books that's what samina mishra yeah. also said she said that reading comes in now has taken the form of so many different things like even for children in order to raise readers it's just like you have to understand content and meaningful content comes in so many different forms now so uh, one shouldn't Go down, and she's a children's book hmm. uh, author. No and, graphic novels. Uh, yeah. So you are only supposed to read comics exactly. and cartoons till you are a teenager, and yeah, then you are supposed to get that. over it. And that makes no yeah. sense. I mean, we we seek them throughout Absolutely. our life. Yeah. It's just another way of storytelling. Yeah. So videos, long videos, yeah. short videos. Mm. At at you know, there's a there's some film I'll be able to watch for two and a half yeah. hours. There's another I I'll give up yeah. on. and and we we just have to stop judging ourselves yeah. for the way our brain works yeah mm. just like you let your child lead you you yeah. have to let let your consciousness yeah lead you in whatever in yeah. time yeah. specific and circumstantial you because you have to take all of that into account where you are at that moment in time and it's not that you know it is not something that you're getting anything out of and i don't think there's anything like mindless people talk a lot about you know mindless consumption but i don't think is that really possible is that whole concept even possible that mind how is it yeah i think that that's that's a very very judgmental term yeah you know so if somebody is scrolling fashion reels then yeah. that's mindless but if you're scrolling politics yeah. then that's not yeah. mindless and who are you to decide <laughs> uh where, whereas you know that yeah. could be your special interest that yeah. could be yeah. something that leads to Or what your yeah. um, you know profession may be yeah. it could be something that informs everything else you do mm. there are so many ways in which we want to express ourselves mm. that's another thing expression is so oh you are now 50 you must look like this mm. you are a professor you must behave like this wait a minute i'm going to look like a 15 year old yeah be a 50 year old and and uh, you know and be absolutely dynamic in my class i don't know what i'm going to do yeah. I on any given day god of telling me that one of the kids had come and said something at the end of the year that uh, something about an incomplete and uh, he asked that who else has given you the 
the longer deadline or something like that and the person said only natasha's give so he's like yeah then i'll give it <laughs> so he's like if she's doing it i have to so yeah we've got our trend setter thank you so much we've thank had you. so much thank fun you. thank you uh, thank it's been you. so much fun If you have stories that you'd like to share or conversations that you'd like to start, reach out to us. We're on Instagram at Mommy Mixtape. That's M O M M Y M I X T A P E.